Hello, welcome. My name is Neha Visakha and I'm the host of the podcast series The Feminist City. This is offered by Vidhi Center for Legal Policy and in this series we hope to think about cities, our relationships with the city and exclusions in the city. Over the course of these episodes, we engage with the big, the small, and the mundane details that go into what makes our cities our homes, what makes cities accessible to us, and what makes cities hostile to us. In this episode, I continue my conversation with Dr. Sneha Andavarapu, a qualitative sociologist, picking up from last week where we discussed driving, road safety, and why we don't see many women driving autos or cabs in our cities, and move on to talking about space and time for pleasure and intimacy in the city, the relationship between safety and freedom itself, and what are some ways in which the city shapes our trajectories and how we can help shape the city, how it's imagined, planned for, and remade. What I felt, at least my brief, very brief uh, dabbling in this, is the the fact that urban infrastructure itself is not seen as a feminist issue. When we talk about safety for women in the city, the conversation seems to be dominated by better police protections, you know, better um, laws, but not streetlight down the street or, you know, free public provision of transport Mm -hmm. services that are open 24-7, bathrooms in every street, uh, you know, childcare that is provided by the state or by mandated by law. And so things that actually, you know, it's like we are thinking of it in a protectionist format rather than thinking about what exactly mm-hmm. produces safety for in the first place. And when we come to what produces safety, I mean, I think in Weiloiter, uh, they make fantastic argument about what actually produces freedom is what produces safety, right? And I think um, the woman's right to the city is a deeply feminist issue. And the woman's right to the city also, I think, has to be uh, thought of as the trans woman's right to the city, as, you know, rather the LGBTQ community and uh, the Muslim woman's right to the city across different cross-sections of identity. that. Uh, I just wanted to actually chime in and say something about women's safety as being, and I think you pointed out a really important issue that um, it's, is it, is it something big in urban studies? First of all, I think there has been like a long legacy of feminist geography. And I do think that it's uh, sometimes I I feel a little bit unsure of saying that there isn't literature. I just feel like, again, like it wasn't considered legitimate knowledge until, uh, until recently. And I do think that there have, there have been radical women geographers who've been writing and you've been, who've been talking about the same thing for the past many decades uh, to unfortunately to very little effect, right? So it's not a new conversation as much as the fact that it's been deliberately sidelined um, uh, and the politics of that deliberate silencing is something that we're all uh, more or less aware of. I think not irritated, but like I felt a little bit dissatisfied with is that a lot of the literature tends to focus on the experiences of women. And I think that's a really important empirical and like, you know, that's something that we need to archive, like how are women experiencing the city. But I think what's equally important is that what are the consequences of women's safety becoming central to um, to city planning? Like, And I, by consequences, I mean, how do, does it otherize certain parts of society? Does it exclude certain kinds of people from this mandate. And you see something similar in Leslie Kern's work where she's like, you know, talking about yeah. how uh, the development yeah. of condo housing in Toronto had a lot to do with capitalizing on women's fears of urban danger. But what that ended up doing was then reproducing this like figure of danger as this racialized, poor, 
immigrant man, right? And you can see something like that in Hyderabad or like other cities where this focus on women's safety is uh, deliberately producing the other as a peri-urban migrant worker, generally lower class, lower caste, a Muslim man. Like, you know, there are all these like otherizations that are produced when yeah. we center women's safety as if it has, as if it's only for women. Like there is this like, uh, territorial, I don't know, territorial impulse of a lot of uh, uh, writing around urban, uh, around feminist spaces that, I mean, I don't think Violet or anything does that, but I feel like sometimes if you if you don't think about um, relationality while thinking about women's yeah. safety, then we don't see what are the kinds of consequences. Like this demand for increased surveillance is one that you can hear a, a lot in public discourse around women's safety that we just need more CCTV. Oh my god, yeah. Or we need like plain what? clothes policemen, or we need yeah. like more shooting. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And like that inevitably produces and reproduces this figure. And in my conversation with cab drivers, they were very well aware of the fact that they are a trope in the city, that they are looked at as potential rapists. They were very aware of that. And it just made me wonder like, how can anyone live with the awareness? that they are inherently savage. like, And they would tell me that there are all these short video clips that the police department releases as cautionary tales, which are short films that are made where there's a cab driver and then he's like lasciviously looking at some woman and then he like takes her to a field and he like sexually assaults her, you know. And these are clips that are made to make sure that women are careful in cabs. But look at the stereotyping of the cab driver in the short film itself. And the cab drivers are very... They just obviously do not like it, but they don't say anything about it because they also realize that they're like, well, women's safety is a, like has become an issue that has a lot of moral currency. So to say yeah. anything about it is almost like you are against women's safety. So when I tried to critique it, one of the first things that the my informant said to me was just like, but why are you so against like us having safe cab journeys you know and there's like a lack of nuance in this conversation where you're just like I'm not against you having like a safe cab journey I just like feel like otherizing these kinds of working class men and like other male bodies is just is that like some sort of a viable solution to creating like inclusive cities it just doesn't seem to it's like one person's inclusion is another person's exclusion resulting absolutely and thank you so much for pointing this out because I feel like it brings me to something that I'm actually dying to point out it's just this construction of unsafety in the city Mm -hmm. is so dominated in public space as if cities are made up of public spaces and that there is no violence going on in private spaces yeah it's like when we think about safety for women we are talking about oh but there is an assumption that underlies every single conversation around safety for women in the city that the home is a safe space Mm -hmm. and that like protectionist, like from the going to the school is a safe space, right? Like wherever you're moving, but like the public space that you're occupying, the transport and like these are the unsafe spaces. But I think, I think it's also about legitimate and illegitimate violence, right? Like it's like, what is violence that is worthy or considered worthy of being paid attention to? And what is violence that is uh, submerged? And I think... Mm -hmm. uh, in this conversation, it, it, it's I think it's also timely to point out that India is a country that has not criminalized marital rape. Yeah. So we don't recognize rape that occurs within um yeah within a marriage as rape. Right. So and, 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 and so that to me brings also to the to the very questions of what it does when our notions of safety for women sort mm-hmm. of follow patriarchal, protectionist, casteist you know, Islamophobic constructions of how we view society itself. It's like, 
who 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 are you protecting the woman from right. and because when and even when you talk about hyderabad police like i'm very curious about how they respond to questions of domestic violence or how they respond to questions of you know and 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 the and the fact that the conversation around safety itself is so dominated by this and with and, and it 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 mirrors a complete silence on the other like mm-hmm. yeah and i think women themselves seem to navigate that right it's almost as if i mean it's it's not i mean any look at any like i think if you just take a bare glance at the national crime record bureau statistics on rape or sexual violence even though i think it's severely underreported most right. i mean a lot of sexual violence occurs from at the hands of people you know and you identify and are you know unknown to you so this this myth mm-hmm. like the myth of the unsafe cab driver or the unsafe immigrant or the unsafe other is also not even rooted in reality that is produced by data or even mm-hmm. you know women's own experiences when they think about yeah instances of violence yeah but i feel like you know like data is not something that one has access to is not something that people rely on to make uh, to to understand the world around them in fact like um i think it's mostly narratives that circulate around us that determine what we perceive as uh, dangerous or important so i feel like i i'm a little bit of a skeptic i think the role of media cannot be understated in this regard i feel like when there is a case of a sexual assault by a cab driver that gains a lot of media traction and there's a lot of sensationalization there's a lot of like you know uh pointing to where this driver was from and you get a sense of the background of the driver in gory detail uh we've seen this happen time and again we've seen this with uh not just cab drivers but any other kind of the male figure that is the other we've seen it with nirbhaya we've seen it with the recent hyderabad rape uh, and murder case where the four they were constantly you know brought up like what they do where they're from and you could again they, it reconfirmed the stereotype of a peri urban migrant uh, a man with like you know some kind of inherently inherently sexually savage sort of personality that you attribute to certain kinds of bodies right and i feel like yeah. that you I, i think media has such a huge role in the construction of certain kinds of people as being potentially dangerous it's the same in the us where like the black man has been portrayed time and again as being like hypersexualized but also as, and like those cases gaining way more traction than other cases in which the perpetrator did not fit what is called the ideal criminal right so this ideal criminal ideal victim dyad so the ideal victim being like an upper caste up, uh, upper class upwardly mobile hindu woman you know always in like some kind of like a professional um degree or being independent mobile young like all of these able bodied all of these like associations that 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 just kind of get reified in public in media discourse i think is very important to pay attention to so i think that often constructs um women's experiences of feeling unsafe and uh, i also wanted to say that while critiquing any of it it's very important to not make it seem like one doesn't empathize with the fact that you feel unsafe in public i think yeah. um that yeah. is yeah i i feel a bit sometimes wary of um pushing back because i'm like I I know what it feels like to feel unsafe yeah. and it's not like I didn't yeah. have untoward incidents actually I had an auto rickshaw driver uh stop in the middle of the ride in the middle of the night there was no street lights and again like that's why I'm pointing out there were no street street lights so it was an in- infrastructural yeah. issue that created the conditions of possibility for him to t- randomly stop me and ask for my number in a way that just felt really threatening so I kind of gave it to him and uh yeah. you know it was just like a very fraught encounter that uh, that did shape my field work i decided to not talk to auto drivers after maybe 11 in the night which 
you know oh, yeah okay. it was it was an important yeah. turning point where i was like earlier i was like very bindas about talking to anybody and everybody but that was a bit it was a bit unnerving an experience and i i don't bring it up only because it i don't bring it up in, in my dissertation only because i didn't find much analytical value uh, of what to do with it but as a as a not a researcher but as a regular person who like uses public transport that was a that was a bit of an yeah. eerie experience you know and i feel like there is some way there has to be some way to talk about both these things like we need to th- be able to think in terms of and so like of course women feel afraid in public spaces and of course like there is a jittery feeling whenever you step into a cab or an auto because you do know that there are some things that have happened it's not like anybody's like it's not like women are making up stuff of harassment in cabs you know and that's like it's yeah. not like in their heads um but yeah. on the other hand there is this we need to be able to be a little critical of the kinds of narratives we're consuming on a daily basis and really figure out where is that coming from so i know that my parents being upper caste upper class people tend yeah. to particularly villainize certain kinds of bodies precisely because there is some latent fear that i would fall in love with the wrong kind of man you know like there is yeah. this preemptive strike yeah. that is that is made early on in your life by certain kinds of bodies that just deemed totally like um you know undesirable but also like inherently dangerous and uh, just being a little more reflexive and aware of that and i just can't re- emphasize enough the value of um, of uh, art and uh, like not just i mean by art i mean like writing or any other kind of cultural consumption and really massaging these ideas of uh, being critical and being being not taking um, sensationalism or the narratives that we grew up with at face value i think that's really important we need to create a culture of reflexivity which i think is something that only the humanities and social sciences can really shoulder and do very well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. absolutely i mean i yeah i could not agree more and i think um no thank you for sharing this experience with me because i think sometimes um um i think this is another thing right like uh, mm-hmm. i think uh, instances of violence or sexual harassment and as as traumatic or as as, as upsetting they might be right. i think also have critical role to play in how our trajectories in life also change like the things that you stop doing because yeah something has happened to you right like and i think there is there are these points that you can trace back to and i was uh, and while you were talking i was thinking about mm-hmm. the same thing and i think uh, one with respect to i mean as an upcast hindu uh, woman i'm very i completely empathized with you and and un- understood what you meant when you talked about these villainizations and characterizations right like because i think it's very early on the 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 importance mm-hmm. or like the, the the overwhelming importance of endogamy or like sticking with like a particular community and in the detriment of the other is imbibed right. in small and big ways through your entire life and i think we it's it's a process of unlearning over a period of time but i think it it, it was also very surprising to me because Uh, as an as a young woman navigating hyderabad and even bangalore um recently in a couple of contexts and i actually wanted to link mm-hmm. this to even your work in bombay that you do because i was thinking about what it actually means to go out with a, a boy who may not uh, uh look or who doesn't belong to your own community especially visibly right like i think uh, when i was out with a muslim friend of mine in hyderabad i was uh, the, the car was stopped multiple times mm-hmm. and i've been out with friends but i think when there's somebody visibly muslim mm-hmm. police seem to be more comfortable asking you to stop for random checks right like it's a and it yeah. was shocking to me because it's like it's one thing to be aware of or, or intellectually but experientially the idea mm-hmm. that like traffic signal after traffic signal there is a if there are cops there is a likelihood that we got stopped three times in one night and i was like oh my god like 
is this wow. is this yeah. the experience yeah. and it was it was it really it really like and it it also gave me a sense of my privilege of even as a woman to be able to just navigate you know without without the fear of police every time they stopped me except uh, to me this question of also safety and i think one of the reasons i also talked about uh, this thinking of protectionism itself is not rooted in reality because uh, a couple of months ago i and another muslim friend of mine on a walk on a road very close to our place got stopped by a couple of cops and we were harassed uh, so this cop on the bike tells us what are you doing at this time who are you with mm-hmm. what are your names and uh, where do you live come to the police station with me mm-hmm. and the thing is it's also mm-hmm. a marker of the changing times because I was not afraid for myself at all in that moment. I mean, I was afraid for myself, but not as much as I was afraid of my afraid for my uh, mm-hmm. male friend who's Muslim. So, because this kind of because of especially we've touched about this as, as in this context of the lab jihad as taking on currency, and now they're talking about passing laws in, in bringing up yes. something that's already. Uh, um yeah and it's, it's this insane idea and it becomes something that's gaining material reality it already existed but it's getting legitimacy and legal sanction it is terrifying not because and, and that's another thing it's not only that your yes, family right. society generally frowns upon uh, yeah. certain kinds of uh, relationships and interactions that you choose but now the, the state and it has always operated you know in in this way where policing also is 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 a form of harassment and it's it's to put you in your place to tell you that go home you have no business being outside with a boy at this time unless you know there is that the mm-hmm. good woman bad woman narrative that i could see coming out in this interaction mm-hmm. with this cop because he was mm-hmm. he was subtly trying to slut shame me by ind- indicating oh what are you doing here what do you do as if you know and and, and I, I, i these kinds of experiences and i stopped going out for walks mm-hmm. after that but the another thing that i kept carrying with myself was if and with all of my privileges i felt so shaken i like it it mm-hmm. is something that i do struggle with understanding how much how violent or how how much liberty would he have taken with someone without my mm-hmm. privileges and my in in that particular moment and yeah so i think um, I guess I wanted you to sort of also talk about a little bit about the uh, the public kissing project that you did because mm-hmm. in this kind of context, what does it mean for young people to fall in love in the city, or what does it mean to sort of uh, find spaces to make the city your own? You know, away from violence, away from narratives of safety, but of pleasure and beauty, and I don't know, a connection. Yeah. Oh God. It's um. I was you know like when I was doing the public kissing project, one of the reasons that I got very excited about it is um I was pretty surprised that whenever I went to bandstand or marine drive there were so many couples just like sitting 2 feet away from each other like using some kind of a dupatta as cover and just like staring into the sea so I do think that there's a certain aesthetic element of just being like you know putting the city uh, like looking away from the city looking uh, at anywhere but the city that does add to that but I mean that was in the Bombay context but more generally I think well obviously one of the things that is going on or was going on is that the lack of uh, sanction of premarital sort of relationships or intimacies within the home uh, results or the lack of privacy at home um in houses that you're sharing with like your, your parents or your grandparents sometimes everybody in the family like you have to find spaces outside of the home to find these moments of intimacy right so it becomes particularly fraught when these spaces are surveilled or policed in the way that you just described and I'm I mean I I felt vicariously really um stressed out as you were like narrating these episodes of harassment that you faced 
because somewhere we assume like there's a certain freedom uh, associated with public streets along with danger or whatever but there is something inherently just like uh freeing about being out uh and i think we're all but i'm at least feeling that particularly so this year being trapped in my house because of covid and i long for the myriad dangers but also the myriad uh possibilities of being out the the serendipity of encounters that lead to fascinating conversations at times uh and yeah just like it's so nice to be out because like you just gain a variety of experiences that you don't when you're sitting at home and having very deliberate structured interactions with people that you already know um yeah. but yeah so like you know and uh, thinking of intimacies more broadly for me means accounting for these kinds of experiences also like some of the conversations that i had with some of the auto drivers and cab drivers i spoke to were actually very were were intimate in not necessarily always a sexual way but sometimes also um i and i wrote a blog post about this for agents of ishk at one point where an auto rickshaw driver articulated how he became an auto driver so that he can find like beautiful women to have sex with and he was very uh, upfront about that it was a bit a uh, nerve-wracking an interview initially but then i realized that he really just wanted to talk about how he has a lot of desire which was i mean he didn't harm me at all he didn't come on to me or anything he was just talking about how he really just like wants some which is a bizarre experience but i was like i would not have got it if i hadn't really put myself out there and this is not to say that people ought to do things that make them uncomfortable but per chance encounters in the city have this uh, quality of somehow becoming confessionals where we can discuss some things about our private lives with people that we know we won't really meet ever again and there is a certain value to that sort of intimacy so i'm thinking about intimacy really broadly here uh but for couples in particular i think it's it's really st- it's a scary time um for for couples that you know that um disrupt the norm of what it means to be an ideal hindu upper caste couple or whatever like either you need to have access to a lot of private spaces a lot of um privilege padding as i call it uh, so you can mm-hmm. go to like your airbnb so you can go to your oyo hotels to like hook up and i know that there's a kind of entire infrastructure of that that has come up in the past in the recent past so i know so many friends of mine would you would all go out to like get a drink and if like you hit it off with somebody you just like go and check into an oyo hotel and the fact that some oyo hotels are like explicitly couple friendly is really helpful in then filtering out those that might take on the role of the paternal state in policing your um your intimate lives so there are these ways in which the upper class segment in india is able to still navigate or work around the paternal state via the uh, resorting to these um to these sorts of options uh but to me, it just indicates that like this is a problem with anything like even scooters or learning to drive they're very different cases like learning to drive for women and like accessing an oyo room but what it ends up doing is that basically you are taking ownership of managing the risks of whatever it is right like safe transportation or safe space to be intimate with with someone and that i think becomes more of an incentive for nobody to talk about what to do collectively so like the more we all learn to drive the less incentive there is for the state to make public transportation safer for women which is why like this whole like learning to drive mantra that is often touted as being yeah. empowerment for women is 
always very unpalatable to me because I'm like, you're just make, making me learn to drive so that you don't have to do anything about the fact that you need to make public transportation safer. Similarly, like this whole like Oyo hotel thing, I think it's a great stopgap measure. Obviously, like I think it's it's nice that finally there are hotels where suddenly you won't have like some kind mm-hmm. of like a raid and the police will like throw you in the uh, in the prison because you're they think you're a yes. sex worker. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like well, if you're going to keep retreating into these semi-private shells, uh, mm-hmm. we just sort of then stop talking about what it means to hold hands and walk around in public, what it means to kiss in public, and why should that not be okay. Um, and how do we then like the kiss of love protest but that way was really disruptive and beautifully it's a very energizing moment in yeah. um, in thinking about public spaces and like what it is to <laughs> behave appropriately and not um, but it is a terrifying time to actually put your body and do that right now because uh, there, especially in certain parts of the country um, the muscle of uh, police has has increased and there's a lot of political legitimacy behind yeah. it so it's also you one also feels a little hesitant in asking people to take personal risks um and make a point or like do something um to change the conversation it's a it yeah it i find it a little bit difficult to be like well we should all do this because i don't know what the repercussions are going to be and it's a little bit terrifying to imagine what might happen um but yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like I completely deviated from what you asked me, but these were some... No, no, that's completely... That's okay, because I, I, I think... But I think it's that's why, right? Like, I, I think the conversation also naturally went to a place of fear because I think yeah. the love today in this country is going to a place of fear because mm-hmm. there is a... When we talk about pleasure, there is, there is so little space because I think mm-hmm. what was earlier... or I mean, maybe it was always, but I think what was largely a social project or like a problem with society is now also a political project that's gaining currency with a particular type of politics that's sort of gripping the country, right? Mm -hmm. So I think uh, all of the problems that sort of we can articulate about society being casteist, about patriarchal and like, you know, and it's in in its heterosexist formations is, Mm -hmm. you know, very classist, is also now... It's it, it, there. Are, there is a re- entrenchment of certain ideas, and it's it's getting the might of the state behind it, and like ideologically and politically, and like infrastructurally. And I think, I think it 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 it, it seemed to me even when you were talking, and I, I I completely relate to that. And I think uh, earlier in the conversation you talked about, you know, how being out is just a it's a pleasure. It's a it's a it's an experience that you want to have and I think uh, we've discussed this before and I mentioned this in the first episode as well about the the TikTok video that went viral where mm-hmm. people were asked what would you do if men were not in the city and all of these women said we'd like to go out for a walk at night and this is so simple but it's yeah. very difficult for multiple reasons as we've discussed but I think particularly in the form of in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the form of love or care and, mm-hmm. and we've talked about I think predominantly heterosexual couples and I'm also thinking yeah. about what it what it is to love in secret and when mm-hmm. there are communities that have that have had to love in secret that have had to sort of even fight or come out and put their bodies on the line in order to you know be able to expand the rights and i think the, the, the fascinating history of the lgbtq movement in, in in this country is testament to that but it's it's also but it it, it i don't know how it's like even these gains in, in some way or in some form are incremental because they are benefiting certain sections of society more than the others, mm-hmm. whether it's about like encouraging women of a particular class to drive is, 
is also women who are able to drive or access driving can access the vehicular yeah. ownership in the first place yeah. so all of these other people who are not even thought about even in this conversation about pleasure like the only thing that i kept coming to my mind is we work for so long lately like i think like there's this kind of culture of overwork that seems to be pervading the world and like with labor law protections being weakened even in the light of the pandemic mm-hmm. i'm thinking about do people have time to actually put away for pleasure mm-hmm. and if they have time where are they going and mm-hmm. how 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 difficult it's becoming you know to for something as simple as that to go for a walk with someone that right. you like yeah. yeah and who that that simple pleasure belongs to and who it's made impossibly difficult yeah i also felt like you know um i think it's sometimes very difficult to know how a city works for certain communities like i know when i was doing research i realized that um there's like certain cinema theaters or parks that a subcultural sexual group might be fully aware of and actually access so in a weird way a very public space like a park becomes a haven for mm-hmm. for say gay men in hyderabad right like or a certain cinema theater becomes the place where you kind of go to like hook up and people know there's like a, a like members of a certain community will know this and it's important to point this out mostly because i feel like people are resilient like communities are resilient in finding spaces outside the home for pleasure it's just that we like i may not have access to it because i just don't know it and the problem with that is just that i mean not just that it's a big problem is that like you're basically risking you're taking a risk for pleasure and there's a lot of uncertainty baked into finding these like sexual zones in a city so i think it's phil hubbard who writes a lot about these sexual geographies of every city and every city has spaces that are actually like very public spaces like from way before like public restrooms um in cities all over the world have functioned as spaces where gay men for instance are able to um able to live out a certain part of their lives that has been denied to them from a heteronormative matrix of society right and yeah. so there are ways in which people do seek pleasure in each other's bodies in each other's like um company and i don't want to make it seem like people just don't have access to that it's just that when you have to live with uncertainty all the time of when that pleasure might be taken away that's a bit terrifying to imagine like what it means to like and in weird way that's kind of all of our lives like most of our lives at least it's only yeah. a slim section of society that doesn't live with that kind of uncertainty every day but mm-hmm. uh coming to this point about leisure Yeah I feel like it's again you know when you were talking about like walking in the city my first thought was actually infrastructure I'm like uh we don't really have sidewalks like I hate walking in the city <laughs> because I'm like walking and I'm like I feel like somebody's going like to run me over and it's so stressful and exercise to just go for a leisurely walk and I go on walks here all the time and I'm not saying America actually sucks in terms of like automobility politics and there's no public transportation so America has no model for public transportation but there are sidewalks so I can walk on the sidewalk and actually like not be stressed out all the time about just getting hit you know like my driving project actually started out because an auto rickshaw driver like very casually like ran into me uh because this auto driver was coming on the wrong side of the road and he had his own reasons because the u turn was very far away so he was just <laughs> driving and he just like you know like almost like collided in me and then i yelled at him and that's how this driving project began for instance but wow. yeah like you know so there are these issues that nobody really thinks about i'm like i want to talk about pleasure but like very concretely making possible like areas for people to walk in is just is so basic but it's just not something that somehow it comes up so i think thinking very i feel like 
community oriented kind of urban planning would be very helpful like just bringing i don't know like neighborhood level decision making like people coming up and like articulating ideas but again like the problem would be this like stratification by class caste gender that like who ends up speaking as the representative voice of a particular neighborhood i mean that's the same as like panchayat systems and all of that like i don't know just like making even when we like glorify community based decision making or like local governance yeah. to be to be really critical of and attentive to the kinds of stratifications that that entails would yeah. uh, would just require i think there's just you need people who are passionate about urban planning at the end of the day i feel like a lot of the work that gets done sometimes is just work that's getting done because somebody has to do the job and mm-hmm. instead having people who really really care about cities and it's actually pretty sad that many academics like me don't get into this kind of work you know it's actually i keep thinking i'm like i want to do so many things i don't know what i'm doing um and i guess i'm doing the work of like again like making people think and like it's lovely to teach and produce critical thinkers and hopefully like yeah. now my students will never look at cities the same way and that is a joyful like activity for me to partake of but i do sometimes wonder uh how many of us are really really passionate and are just not behind the right desks you know and yeah. um what like how sad is that <laughs> that um all of these yeah. ideas don't really get translated into practice not that we should always take the burden of change but you know I, yeah i just feel like if there are people who are passionate about this kind of stuff like doing this kind of work they would think about these things and mm. um yeah It's just no um, i think that's that's true i think that's actually a good way like to end out this wonderful conversation because yeah. i feel like we have so many things we could talk about and i actually want to talk about because and i actually wanted to highlight a couple of things which i actually hope to discuss more in other episodes one is about participatory processes itself and i think you yeah. touched upon you know the um, resident welfare association capture yeah. of systems yeah. sometimes and and how they reinforce a particular type of yes. culture Uh, infrastructure policies themselves in terms mm-hmm. of and i think uh, it's very interesting and also painful to see what yes. happens when there is a elite capture of participatory processes because absolutely and i think uh, that's the which is why i feel like uh, intersectionality not 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 in, in terms of just you know to just talk about it in this way but in, in the centering of who we are thinking of and what systems are acting and how do mm-hmm. we radically disrupt and undo these very systems and how do we think about cities from that perspective and i think right. and i i feel like that sometimes is not enough and in fact i i feel like for it's also i think the role for activists and thinkers and people who want to change societies to be paying very close attention to the infrastructure and the very geography of the space right i think uh, mm-hmm. attention becomes really important and i think as you pointed out it's really important to have passion and to think about cities not as you know uh, i think it's as 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 thriving neighborhoods for people to live their entire lives i feel like there is that that thinking of the city as a romantic notion not just mm-hmm. not just in not just from a technical perspective but as a i think it will also be interesting to see how um different people in different spaces are articulating their imaginations of the city and how to ensure that none of these articulations are submerged in in the processes that we sort of you know come about and i think uh, right. there is a lot of work to be done in that context absolutely But, yeah yeah 
and uh, thank you so much sneha this was a wonderful wonderful uh, conversation it gave me so much to think about and i hope that everybody listening to us takes away a lot of things as well well no thank you for inviting me i mean this was a very um, thought provoking discussion for me to start the day with and yeah i look forward to having many more such conversations with you and uh, good luck with this podcast and everything that uh, that that you do with regard to this particular issue of um, gender and sex in the city thank you so much that's actually fantastic i'm going to include all the articles particularly the wonderful articles sneha yeah. wrote in agents of fish that she refers to in this conversation with the auto driver around desire in the city and i think uh, so those of you who are interested might be able to explore some of these texts for yourself and maybe um i think i'll also try and include whenever your paper comes out sneha i think i'd love to put the paper as well include it in the links so that listeners can read them and um think about them and i would definitely encourage um anyone listening to also write to us and tell me yeah. what you thought about what came up your own experiences um your criticisms your what you felt was missing or what you felt could be added to this because i'm very curious about this and i think this is not something that one or two people can think about actually at all i think this is what is beautiful about something like creating a space is the is the community and the communal aspect of it it has to be a project that you do collectively and i think um, yeah i think i would be really excited to hear that So thank you Sneha once again and thank you for everyone who stayed with us so far and uh, I will see you all in the next episode. Yeah absolutely and uh, I just wanted to say also that podcasts like these are such a great initiative and I'm so glad that you're doing this. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks.